Okay, hello and welcome to the Michael Mamas Show. I'm your host, Michael Mamas. And today I have with me uh, Adrian Dewey. Hi. And Adri- there you go. And Adrian and I have known each other, gee, for what, 20 years or so? Yeah, a long time. Uh, she and her husband, Mark, have both been attending my classes for some time. Uh, and today we're going to talk about a, a subject that is really important, I think, to a lot of people, especially people with some religious orientation. And then, for example, their kids just show zero interest in uh, religion and spirituality. And uh, the, the thing is, a big reason why that's going on in the world today, ju- not just with kids, but with people in general, is that there's a certain like Western mentality, which is all oriented around science and logic. When those people look at the way religion has been practiced in the, in the past, it just doesn't make any uh, logical sense. And uh, uh, so they reject it. They turn their back on it. You know, there was a group of, uh, I understand a group of pundits is the way I heard it, in India. And they were concerned because, you know, the decline of Hinduism and a lot of the kids weren't into it anymore. And so they talked about, well, what can we do to help help inspire the kids to get into uh, spirituality? And the idea came up, well, let's teach them Sanskrit. And... (laughs) And Sanskrit is great, and I'll, I can give a whole lecture. I will. I'll give a podcast on it sometime about Sanskrit and exactly what it really is. Uh, but the thing is, the, the kids have would have no motivation to learn the Sanskrit, you know. Mm-mm. And so, what's the, what's the key element there? The key element there is that it has to make sense to the modern mentality, you know. And uh, and for it to do that, it's got to be rational. There's got to be a uh, intellectual understanding to it. And, you know, uh, I've given lectures, you know, for, I don't know what, how many were in the room, not that big, maybe a hundred people or something. And, uh, I talked about the intellectual basis for spirituality and what, it, what it is. And I remember one woman in particular, though, I get this kind of feedback a lot. She came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, my daughter, just lit up like a light bulb. She said, mom, she said, it finally makes sense, you know? Mm. So the, the way to get people into religion, and it's not because we want them all to be religious. What we want is for people to have a uh, deep understanding of the nature of life and existence. And really, if you think about it, that's, that's really what religion in its... Uh, truest sense and its deepest sense that's what religion should provide yeah you know yeah and uh um so that for and just for example and this isn't just hinduism it's christianity it's all religions and out of christianity you know the kingdom of heaven dwells within you know on one level it's like what the heck does that mean but then on another level it's the idea and and see, we can make sense of it now with thanks to the progress that's been made in physics. In physics, they say there's one thing. It's a unified field. It's the one thing that's the source of everything. Sometimes they call it the super particle. And I am that. Thou art that. All of this is nothing but that. And that's pure physics. And so now all of a sudden, those kind of expressions, kingdom of heaven dwells within 
uh, I am that thou art that all of this is nothing but that. That's out of the Upanishads, I think. And uh, now it starts to make sense. Yeah. And so and so the kids, they, they start getting into it, you know, and uh, there's so much that we can make sense of. Thanks to really a lot of the progress in science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then what happens is uh, the kids get into it. Uh, people get into it. You know, it's amazing to me. I mean, because I am... Uh, <laughs> Born Ohio, grew up in the United States in Ohio. I'm I'm a Westerner. To me, things have to make logical sense. And so I'm kind of humbled when I look back it through history. There were times people built these huge temples and pyramids and everything else. And uh, there was really not a scientific or logical basis to it. It was more just a deep inner feeling, a sense of oneness, you might say. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I really respect that. Yeah, that's interesting. But, uh, I had never thought of it like that. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 beautiful, but just to be real honest, I just because of my background and stuff, I don't know that I could have done that. At least not with my modern current mentality. You know, I needed a rational justification for it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's the key to how to get. The world turned around because what that also does is when you start viewing all these um, spiritual doctrines and things from a from a logical, rational perspective, the other thing it offers is it starts to cast aside some of the uh, we could say superstition because uh, you know in every religion there's some things that are just I don't know just over time they got developed and they just become like crazy superstitious things. And uh, uh, again, what happens then is that you have uh, a rational person who takes a look at the religion and sees these super uh, superstitious um, things that people are doing, and it just doesn't make any sense, and they reject the whole thing, throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know? Yeah. But now, what's needed, there's a lot... In it, and I could get into Vedic cognitions and where a lot of these teachings come from, a lot of this knowledge comes from. And what happens is, uh, even if you've studied it a lot, there are some things that are in the Vedic cognitions, for example, that don't really seem to make any sense to you. But what, what I say about that is, it's a little bit like when you study mathematics. You know, when you study arithmetic, you start out one plus one equals two, two plus two equals four. And so you make sense of it. And then there's division and subtraction and multiplication. And uh, at some point along the line, it's like, you know, kids get maybe frustrated with like long division as an example. And they can't get it. They can't get it. They can't get it. They get frustrated, but they think about it. They work with it. And then they realize that, oh, yeah, now I get it. And it makes sense. And. As you go along through your educational process, that happens over and over again, maybe with uh, algebra or maybe with calculus or on and on. Mm -hmm. And you get to the point where you realize that your teacher knows more than you do. Yeah. And that it is based in logic. There is a rational basis to it. And and then what happens is it kind of opens the door because now maybe you're 
professor in college starts to teach topology or complex variable analysis or something very advanced like that. And because of the background you have, you're like, okay, I know that makes sense. I just have to work with it. And yeah. that way, there are a lot of things, for example, in the in uh, the Vedic tradition, production or what have you, and uh, it may not make total sense, but you get to the point where you realize the foundation, the whole thing does make sense, you know? Yeah. And so then you're, then you're progressing, then you're moving forward um, in a way that does cast aside superstition. You're not just buying into whatever. Uh, and so the whole thing becomes healthy. And and uh, and a person becomes spiritual. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, it doesn't make sense, but uh, you just have to have faith. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't go with that either. Mm -hmm. Because faith, to me, it implies blind faith. And when you know that your math teacher, for example, knows more than you do, it's not really based on faith. It's based on knowledge and experience. And it's, you just start to realize there's something to this. It's not just faith. Uh, that there's a basis to it and you've confirmed it over and over again. And so just because you haven't learned complex variable analysis yet, you don't approach it with the attitude that, oh, it uh, is false, false. You don't reject it because you yeah. realize there's something there to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and then what happens is, uh, see, without that rational, mature basis, I call it rational spirituality or spiritual maturity. Without that, um, all sorts of crazy things creep in. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that cults are made out of. And and then that we get into this problem with the orientation around a lot of people want flash. Mm -hmm. they, that's they popular want, these days. Yeah, man, they want drama. And when they think about spirituality, I mean, they want to see lights flashing and colors flying through the room and everything else. I call it the and, flash and bang. Yeah, the flash, and, the whole flash and bang thing, you know. Uh, uh, and then if you're looking for that, you, you really get set up for all kinds of stuff. There are these energy manipulators. I'll tell you a story. There was this guy, and it was uh, this true story. It was about... How long ago was that? 40 years ago or something? And uh, he got a huge following. And here's how he did it. He got a uh, uh, an aisle, and he lined it with people on either side. And then he would sit at the end of the aisle on a throne. And the, the idea was that the, the, the story was, oh, this guy's God. Everybody was saying this is an incarnation of God. And so they'd have people walk down that aisle, lined with people on each side, down the aisle, down the aisle, down the aisle. When they finally got up to the kid, then they were supposedly in the presence of God. But here's what happened. And this is incredible, really, that this sort of thing even exists. But if you've been around those circles a while, you, you see some incredible things. Because what they would do is they had people in those along the, that aisle who were like skilled energy manipulators, not a good thing. Mm -mm. But what they would do is they would tap on the person's head or, you know, third eye or what have you. And they would start putting energy in to their brain and stuff. And, and it would throw them into a, a, uh, stupor. It's a, it's a little bit like, you know, taking amphetamines or something, you know, they start spinning the chakras and, 
pumping in a bunch of energy. And by the time those people got to the end of the aisle where this guy was sitting in his throne, you know, they saw lights coming out of his eyes and oh my gosh. Oh, and he was going, yeah, he was going. And uh they'd be convinced, oh my God, this guy is God, and they donate all their money. This guy got rich. Oh my gosh. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And there are just there are tons of things like that. Yeah. And that's that's the kind of the stuff culture made out of, you know. And there's a whole process. There's a whole technique, Adrian, to how they go about that with the uh, – uh, I actually wrote a blog on it not long ago. But they get people to kind of chant together. Chanting in and of itself isn't bad, don't get me wrong. But if it can be used as a manipulative tool if it's done, you know, uh, uh, improperly, really. Mm, yeah. And, and, and it just gets the people to bond. See, it's a whole psychological thing. First, they get the people to bond, and then they have this charismatic kind of leader, and he gives these beautiful lectures. Then he taps on your chakras, and you start seeing colors, and you think you're enlightened. And it's one thing in the next, and then the next thing you know, this guy's telling you that uh, he's talking to God. And at that point, people start following him because, oh, my God, he touched my head, and I'm seeing lights, you know? Yeah. And then he'll tell them what God has to say to them and uh, what God wants them to do, and that's the stuff cults are made of. And yeah. so then what happens is on different levels, that can happen to an extreme and you got this full-blown cult, or it can just happen a, a little here and there. And then uh, at any rate, rational people who don't aren't caught up in that take a look at it. And what do they do? They reject religion in general. You yeah. See? Yeah. Uh, Adi Shankar called it the path of discernment, you know, the path... He wrote a whole thing, the crest jewel of discrimination. You know, you got to be discerning. Uh, I think and that's even, true. It, yeah, he even said the spiritual path is a path of discernment. You I, know? I had a similar experience to what you you just mentioned, where I was at a group of people who were there for their health and well-being. You know, they went to this workshop kind of thing, and there was probably 50 people in the room. And the leader um, called this man up and said he was going to help him evolve more quickly. and he started tapping on his body and tapping on places on his head. And then he, he closed the man's carotid arteries off. So the man started looking like he was going to pass out and eventually did. And I'm thinking, uh, I want out of here. This is, this is making the hair on my arms stand up, you know? Um, and I looked around and everybody else seemed like they were just entranced and mesmerized. And I was thinking, I'd better stay. I'm not sure anybody else would help this man if this continues on, you know? Um, and so yeah. finally, the man regained consciousness. He seemed okay. There was me and one other person who stood up to leave. And the rest of the room stood up and lined up to have the same thing happen to them. I really? just was shaking my head. I couldn't believe it. It's not logical, did not feel safe to me in <laughs> a whole room of adults that were well-meaning and interested in their own personal health and evolution stood up to have this done to them. I saw something like that once. And this, the, the guy, I don't know what he was doing, but he had this uh, woman come up actually, and he was putting his hands on the back of her head, as I recall, and on her spine. And then she just started kind of like a lobster does, you know, and you, oh. if you've ever seen that, you know, when yes. they rub the back of a lobster but she just started bending her body in these weird contorted things. And oh she was like in this trance kind of a thing. Alarming. 
Yeah. So, so the bottom line, you got to be mature. You got to be discerning. Spiritual in spirituality, you don't become more weird. In spirituality, you become more normal. You know, and uh, um, as far as the rational approach to spirituality, you know, the, the human beings have two lobes of the brain. You know, rational and and experiential. So. It's not that one is good and the other is bad, but they have to function in an integrated manner. Yes. It has to make sense. And then you can go ahead and feel your devotion and your love of God, your uh, bhakti, you know, like that. But uh, those two things have to work together in a coordinated manner. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think that's lacking in a lot of places where there's spirituality being uh, sold, so to speak, these days. Yeah, it, it it does tend to be that way, you know. Now, th- there was a time, and, and there are some people that don't really insist upon that much uh, rational analysis of the whole thing. And that can be fine, too, uh, uh, provided they're in the, the proper environment, you know. But uh, y- you need to... Um, um, be sure you are in a proper environment. And a, a lot of times, if you're not a big analytical scientist or whatever, if there are very discerning people like that in your community and they're looking at it and making sense of it, then it can can help to, to support you, you know? Yeah. A lot of people will even say, I'm a jnana yogi, you know, a intellectual path to enlightenment. And I say, no, 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 I'm a bhakti yogi. I um, am... am, am devoted to God and, and the feeling, you know, the bhakti, the devotion like that. Uh, uh, but, you know, even in the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna, oh you know, talked, he talked to Arjuna. And what the first several chapters of the Bhagavad Gita were about jnana. They were about knowledge. See, he got Arjuna based in a rational uh, state of mind. And from that foundation of rationality, then the devotion happened. Then the, the later chapters in the Bhagavad Gita is where he deals with, with bhakti. That's but beautiful. it's not like, okay, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's not like, okay, now I'm going to get into bhakti yoga so I can reject and turn my back on the jnana. No, it's an integration of the two. You know? Well, you always say evolution is about integration. It's all about integration. Mm-hmm. It's about normalization of the human physiology, normalization of the awareness. And uh, uh, it's called the path of discernment. And, you know, I've heard some people say, well, I've been meditating 10 years, so I've got to have discernment by now. Uh, Or somebody will say, oh, I've been meditating 20 years, and so I'm obviously really evolved by this point. It's progress in this regard, really, it's not measured in years or even decades. It's measured in lifetimes, you know. We're talking about evolution, and 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 we could even say that evolution isn't just of species, you know, in a Darwinian sense, but it's also an evolution of the individual, and that's a process, and it's cultivated. It's cultivated over time, yeah. you know. And then when you have a healthy culture or a healthy environment or a healthy family life then uh, uh, you're fortunate in that 
your orientation spiritually, morally, ethically, on all levels of different life, are going to culture your life in an evolutionary direction, mm-hmm. you know? I always said I need a better religion, a, a better reason to be Christian than because I was born in America. Yeah. You know, that's just an example. And so you have to uh, apply thought and be reflective and be deep. Uh, you know, uh, good advice is everywhere. It's just the wise person that knows it when they hear it, you know? Yeah. And, and fortunately, in this day and age, because it's not just in America, it's across the world. The Western mentality has taken over. It's a rational time. It's an intellectual time. Uh, logic and science predominates the global mentality. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, a couple hundred years ago, it just wasn't, they, we didn't know about unified field. A couple hundred years ago, you and I are one. What the heck does that mean? Right. But now with the advent of modern physics, then it makes perfect sense. And so we live in a time when there can be a new spiritual uh, uh, reawakening. And it'll be founded by and birthed by and facilitated by the, the very fact that we have a rational mind, you know? Yeah. Whereas, you know, a few hundred years ago, what happened? You had the rationalists and you had the spiritualists. And and the rationalists looked at spirituality and okay, we're one, you're one with God. And they were, what do you mean you're one with God? Doesn't make any sense. Right. And the idea that, oh, you know, God is some guy sitting on a cloud. Well, they build airplanes, they went up there, no God, you know? Yeah. And so so they started rejecting it. Uh and so there became a big division in rationality, uh, between rationality and spirituality. And in fact, it was even considered blasphemy to question spiritual teachings. Still and, is. And that's, <laughs> yeah. Lots of religion yeah. still is. Yeah. But, but in reality, once you have the rational basis to it, then, then it's not only is it not blasphemous, it actually clarifies and evolves and develops your understanding of spirituality. That's right. Yeah, so it's not about a divide between the two. It's not about being uh, rational all week long and then on Sunday going to church and being spiritual and then flip the switch and go back to being rational. No, it's about integrating those two things in life. And thank goodness, you know, we live in an age now where those those things can be done. Yes. So the rational age is a time, it's not a time of uh, where spirituality ultimately will be rejected. It's a time when it will be rejoiced and appreciated on a deeper level. And as it does that, a lot of the hocus pocus, a lot of the, uh, uh, forgive me for saying it too judgmentally, but new age foolishness, uh, all that will get cast aside and we'll have a spiritually mature society, you know? Yeah. 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 Man. It's a fascinating topic. Yeah, it's it's so it's so important. Because otherwise we you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, you, you know, you don't want to do that. There's yeah. so much, there's so much there. And when you start to open up to Vedic knowledge in in a rational way and you start to see it for what it is, it offers so much, you know. And of course, Adrian, you know that in, in my classes. 
I go into the rational basis of spirituality and, and what it means and what all of these different things mean. And yes. uh, uh, then you can start to, with a rational analysis of the whole thing, you can start answering questions that have baffled theologians for, for uh, generations. Yes, you know, if absolutely. there's a God, why did yeah? If there's a God, why did children suffer? You know, for example, right? Uh, it just doesn't make any sense, and it kind of comes up against a more superficial understanding of God and God's will and what all that is. Right. So that's why in my classes I teach all of that stuff, and it sorts it all out for people, and it's just so inspiring. And it's not based on blind faith or you know following a leader or something like that. It's based on your own self, your own inner awareness, your own ability to make sense of it all and, and live life uh, from that level. Yes. Too many people, they, uh, you know, they, they turn to religion as an escape. They don't want to think. That's, That's why right. they go to church on Sunday so they don't have to think. Yeah. But <laughs> it's really not the way it should be, you know. Yeah. You know, you know another thing I notice is that, I live, you know, in uh, Mount Soma here. It's in Western North Carolina, you know, in the Bible Belt. And uh, uh, there's a lot of Baptist uh, uh, churches around on that. And an and interesting experience I've had, I've, I've spoken in depth, just meeting them one place or another. I met one guy on the airplane. Turns out he was a Baptist minister, and we were sitting next to each other. We flew all the way from uh, San Francisco to, to Atlanta together, talked the whole time. And it was a great conversation. I'll bet. I mean, yeah. And, and there was another Baptist minister I met when I was building a house. And he was had a part-time job, you know, to make ends meet. He was laying brick. And I remember I walked um, walked up to the house. I, I was living in San Diego at the time. And I came here to Asheville uh, and to see the progress going on in my house. And I said, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, fine, fine. I said, I'm the, I'm the owner. And he says, oh, you're the owner. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he said, uh, so I got one question for you. He said, what's going on here? And I said, well, you mean in, in Asheville? I know what he's talking about. <laughs> he said, no, here. And I looked around. I said, do you mean uh, uh, Elk Mountain? No, here. I said, you mean this house? He said, Yes. <laughs> And it turned out he had heard that I was in the Vedic knowledge and he didn't. And I was building the house according to the Shastras, you know, the Stapatya Ved and, and that. And uh, yep. so I explained it to him. And then we got in this big uh, conversation. He said, uh, at one point, he said, well, well I just want to know. Uh, he said, uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way? And I said, well, I said, that believes on what you mean by Jesus Christ. If you mean by Jesus Christ, some chunk of flesh that lived a couple thousand years ago, I said, I, I can't believe that. I can't believe that nobody went to heaven until this guy was born 2,000 years ago. Yeah. But I said, if you mean by Jesus Christ, the Christ spirit, the Christ, and what the Christ really is, the underlying basis of all existence out of which all emerged, and this guy named Jesus knew that he was that. He was one with that. Uh, then absolutely, because there's only one. There's only one unified field. There's only one underlying basis to all existence. Uh, and that's the only way home. And uh, he knew he was that, you know. 
And we had a conversation that went on and on like that, and he loved it. He actually invited me to come to his church and uh, give give talks. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and there were and and the guy on the airplane was similar to that. We had he and they, I went deep with them into principles of karma and uh, uh, I don't know what all we talked about. Uh, the transgradient nature of existence, which means that, you know, everything exists transgradiently on different levels of existence. And I explained all that to him. And and he, he, he thanked me at the end. We were done. He shook my hand. He said, this was, you know, so eye-opening, you know. And there have been three other Baptist ministers that I talked to, and all three of them were the same. I mean, they these guys are thinkers, yeah. you know. They were deep thinkers. And they uh, really wanted to share knowledge, you know. Yeah, uh, and so really, that's what—that's what, that, that's what um, all religions would do well to offer their uh, uh, people that come to their temple or church or what have what have you. You know, yeah, absolutely. at least at least enough, at least enough. I mean, we all don't have to become scientists of metaphysics, you know. Yeah, but there there has to be at least enough of appreciation. That uh, uh, we sober up, for lack of a better word, with uh, respect to our spirituality. And people then love it. Instead of turning their back on spirituality, turning their back on religion, they embrace it. They cherish it. And they move it forward and they move their lives forward with a deeper and deeper understanding. Because, see, spirituality, it's not... Like if you have a thousand-piece puzzle, you know, it's not just up there in the upper right-hand corner, spirituality, and then the lower right-hand corner is, I don't know, biology, and the upper left-hand corner is economics. It's not like that. Right. You have all these different fields of life, and spirituality is the vessel that holds all of those different spheres of life. It's, it's more like the big picture after you put all the pieces of the puzzle together. It's the thousand-piece puzzle goes together, and now you see what it's a picture of. Right, and that's and that's spiritual understanding. Everything becomes unified. Everything comes together into a coherent and beautiful, all-inspiring uh, whole. You know. Yes. Yeah. I do. So my first my first class with you, you did that for me. I had chunks of the puzzle that I had come to realize were valid and important, and I sat down in the very first class with you. And you started talking, and that's exactly what happened. It all just came together and in a whole that I'm not sure I would have been able to figure out, you know, where to put the chunks of puzzle together to make them all fit like that. But a few minutes of you talking, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this makes so much sense. This is what he's talking about is the information that I needed to put these things together for myself. It was eye-opening. And that's what we need to, that's what all people, we need to offer that to, to our families, to our kids. That's right. Uh, uh, the, the big picture. Yeah. What's right. life about? You know, what, what is life about? Everyone wants to know what life is about, but it's that understanding and seeing how all the pieces of the puzzle come together. That's what um, is so critical to the health of people's lives. I can't imagine living in a life where you don't even, you're not really even in touch, at least not rationally, with the idea that there is a foundation to the whole thing. Yeah, I can't you know, imagine it's not it. Just, yeah, it's, it's not just a bunch of pieces and fragments scattered all over the place. Yeah, There's a wholeness value to it. 
Life would be very empty without that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And in this day and age, it can't just be based on faith. It's just based on blind faith. Yeah. You know, in that sense, I'd say faith finds its fulfillment in its own annihilation, you know. Yeah. Because you no longer think it. You no longer feel it. You no longer just have faith in it. You know it. That's right. And, and, and not just with the devotional half of your brain, but also with the rational half. Yeah. You know, all the pieces of the puzzle come together. Jnana and bhakti, you know. Mm-hmm. Intellectual understanding and, and, and love of God, you know, and what that really even means, you know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think that's enough for today. And uh, yeah, an important subject, you know. Really is. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'll do more. I'll, I'll We'll do some sh- shows where we talk about different uh, understandings, different rational understandings, what the Veda even is. You know, I ask in my classes sometimes, or the lectures I give rather, Where'd the Veda come from? And uh, they don't know. Oh, the Rishis. Oh, where'd the Rishis get it? They don't know. So that's a whole other lecture of Vedic cognition and uh, what Sanskrit. What Sanskrit? Yeah, what Sanskrit is. All of that. I mean, there's so much. So much. And it's so magnificent. You know, really rich information. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is so beautiful. And we'll get into it. We'll offer it all through these podcasts. You know, we'll be doing podcasting for a while. I think. All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you again next time on The Michael Mama Show. Bye for now.